Church, if you're glad to be here, say amen. amen. If God's been good to you, say amen. amen. If you know you serve a living God, go ahead and just say amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you don't mind, allow me to just read this text. It's only six verses after which I'm going to have you take your seats. I'm reading right now from the book of Ephesians chapter 4, reading at verse number 1, and I'll end at verse number 6. And I'm, I'm reading from the good old authorized um, version of heaven, the King James Version. Uh, I jest, just so you know, I'm, I'm, that's a... Yeah, that's a thing. That was a thing back in the day. But I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul would write, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Church, you may have your seats at, at this time. I know we've had uh, a number of, an, a number really of announcements these past few weeks. It, it just felt like this entire month we've had something uh, almost every single weekend. And, and, and these next couple of weekends, going to be no, no different. We, of course, have the Walk for Water on this evening. And next week, I really want to make a plug. Uh, if you are here and maybe you're on the fence as to attending the Better Together Finding uh, Hope and Healing, if, if you're on the fence about being here for that event, I want to encourage you to just go ahead and sign up. I believe this, this is going to be such a blessing, and so it's going to be September 30th. We've been announcing it for some time, but we want to encourage every single person that is here, if you are available and you are free, we want to encourage you to be here for two reasons. Number one, there are many of us that have been struggling with a number of things. This is definitely a program that I believe is going to be a blessing to you. And even if you have not been struggling with some things, and I don't know of anybody that has never struggled with some things, uh, even if you are in a good season of your life where you have everything all together and there's not too much happening that's crazy, just know that we are living in a world, you, you, have, you have people in your circles that are struggling sometimes with some heavy things. So this is, number one, uh, very much pertinent for us as, as individuals, but also I believe it's a, it's a good way as well for us to be able to equip ourselves to help others who might be going through and experiencing some things maybe that uh, we may not have ever experienced for ourselves. So I really want to make a plug here big time that uh, at some point in time during the course of the message or at some point in time during the course of today that you do take the opportunity to sign up, uh, sign up for that event coming this Saturday right here at the building. Uh, we will have a wonderful time, and I pray up and trust that it would be a blessing to every single person that walks through those doors. Uh, 
as I think about the message on today, hopefully the past few weeks as I've been preaching kind of off of the heels of Jose's uh, sermon a few weeks ago, as we would have been looking particularly within the confines of the book of 1 Corinthians, hopefully we would have recognized some, some really important and vital things. Even as we think about uh, the church that Paul was writing to, as we think about the Corinthian church, uh, we, we would have noted some things, hopefully, number one, that the church, though it was full of spiritual gifts, it was lacking in spiritual maturity. Uh, the, the body could not and was not living out its purpose due to the division that was present and the carnal living that the church members had found themselves in. Hopefully we noted that Paul exhorted the church to stand on the sure foundation that no other man can lay that foundation, he would conclude, would be Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. Paul wanted the church to see that it is the spirit that connects all of them to the, the body that they are a part of. And then finally, uh, hopefully we would have seen that love was and is in fact the glue that kept the church and by all extension keeps us together in a place of operation within the confines of the body. So as we think about these thoughts over these past couple of weeks, and even if you have not been here, and this is the first time you're being here, I'm still praying that this message would, would, would resonate with you and would be a blessing to you. But with the thoughts of the past couple of weeks in mind, I really want to share with us for a brief minute a tag or a title that I've given to the brief exhortation for this morning, a command to follow and an answer to a prayer, a command to follow, and an answer to a prayer. As we think about Ephesians chapter number four, and we'll get to Ephesians chapter number four in, in, in a minute, but as we think about the context of Ephesians chapter four, I want to take two other passages or two other texts into consideration before we make our way into Ephesians chapter number four. Namely, the book of John chapter number 13, and then later John chapter number 17. Because I want us to appreciate that as Paul is writing, and if you don't mind, let me just take my time to get this out before you know, we, we get into the thick of it. Uh, you, you would appreciate that Paul as he builds and as he writes to the various congregations that he would have written to, namely as we would have been looking these past couple of weeks at the church in Corinth. I want us to appreciate that Paul doesn't just pull his theology and his, and his teaching from out of nowhere. Number one, we recognize he was of course inspired by the Holy Spirit. But also a need for us to see that Paul draws from and, and he takes many of his teachings, of course, from the very teachings uh, of Jesus Christ himself. And, and as we think about John chapter number 13, particularly verses 34 and 35, and then later John chapter number 17, I want us to see even before Paul comes on the scene and he makes some things kind of clear and plain for this Corinthian church, I want us to see some things that Jesus would have noticed as he himself was both speaking to his disciples, but then later on also speaking to his father, which is in heaven. There are three things, hopefully, in this message I want to point out. And I say three things, three, three main points. Number one, I want us to see that there is a command in scripture. Number two, I want us to see that there is a cry. But number three, I want us to see that there is a cost. Uh, 
that goes along with this theology of Jesus and this theology and teaching of Paul. As we think about the command, I will bring your attention almost immediately into the book of John chapter number 13, verses 34 and 35. As Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he says these words, and these words still ring true with solidarity even today. He says unto his disciples then, and he is speaking unto us right now. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this. Shall all men know that you are my disciples indeed, if you have love one toward another. So as we think about the command, and we'll get, we'll get to something in a little bit, but I just want to read these texts into you here because as we think about the command aspect of the three points, I need for us to appreciate something about what Jesus is saying is this becomes a requirement for the believer in Jesus Christ. This is not up for negotiation. This is not one of those things that is just a good suggestion. No, no, no. Jesus puts them on notice uh, as he is teaching them, as he is leading them, as, uh, as he is preparing himself to go to the cross and as he is preparing them for his eventual departure. He says unto them, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Here it is, as I have loved you. I know how the world loves and how the world loves might be perverted sometimes. I know how the world loves and how the world loves is only in relation to how the world might treat itself. I know how the world loves. I don't necessarily need for you to love the way the world loves. I need for you to love the way that you have seen me love you. And so that makes a difference because I have seen you in your weaknesses. I have seen you in your failures. I have seen you in your flesh. I have seen you in your calamities. I have seen you as you are. And yet still I have taken you and I have loved you regardless of the flesh, regardless of your sin, regardless of the shortcomings of your mouth, regardless of the shortcomings of your heart. I need for you to love, but I need for you to love the way that I have loved you. It's interesting that Jesus says this to them, and he, he, he says it in such a way, it's, this, this love is not theorized to you. This, this was a love that you have practically experienced. And as we think about the practical reality of learning how to love unconditionally, I need for us to understand that while, yes, God is there present in his word, teaching us what it means to love unconditionally, notice Jesus said, I need for you to love one another as I have loved you. It's one thing to understand the theory of a thing. It's one thing to read love off the pages. But truly, this love that Jesus is talking about is a love that they would have seen in the time that he was with them. Amen. There is something to be said about modeling love for people today. And you might say, well, that was Jesus. That isn't necessarily me. Well, I want us to understand that the only reason why Jesus is telling them, I need for you to model this type of love, the way that I have loved you, it was because it was possible for you human beings. It was possible for you lowly disciples. It was possible for you individuals who were curse buds. You know what I mean when I say curse buds, right? You curse like a sailor. It was possible for you individuals that had darkened hearts. It was possible for you. If, if I am saying that it's it's up to you to love one another as I have loved you. I'm saying to you that it's possible for you to exude and, and typify and exemplify what it means to love unconditionally. 
I'm not telling you something that is only in theory. I'm telling you something that is practical that you could practice even while you are here on earth. So here is the command. The command, he says, is to love. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So we can't learn to love with agape type love. We can't learn to love with unconditional love. We can't learn that type of love unless we are learning it from the master himself. Not only is there a command church, but I also want us to see that there is a cry as well. Follow me into the book of John chapter number 17. And in John chapter number 17, Jesus here is, is praying to the Father, but he is praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples. And as he is praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples, he gets to about verse number 12. I want to encourage you in your own spare time to read all of chapter number 17. But I want to use these verses right here to make the point. As you read from about verse number 12 through about verse number 21, here is what Jesus would utter in his prayer. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas, by the way. And now come I to thee, and the things, these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Check this, verse number 17. Sanctify them, set them apart through thy truth. Thy word, O God, is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I now send them out into the world. And for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Watch this, verse number 21. That they all may be one. Say one. Come on, that they all may be one. Say one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Say one, one more time. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. These two texts offers us some really interesting things to consider before we make our way into the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And this might come across really hurriedly, but I want to I wanna show you the, the correlation between John chapter 13, John chapter 17, and then later what Paul is writing in the book of Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 1 through 6 and following. Here is what I want us to notice. As we look at these two texts in John chapter 13 and John chapter 17, as we look at John chapter number 13, love is a requirement. Love is a requirement. If we are to be deemed sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, let me repeat that one more time, love is a requirement. We have to learn how to display and how to dispense 
unconditional love. It's, it, it's easy sometimes for us to display it because it looks a certain way to the naked eye, but it's a different thing to dispense it, especially when it comes from a place that is not seen. So we have to be careful not just to display unconditional love, but learn to dispense unconditional love. A display might be something that we do with a hand. It might be a hug or it may, might be a gesture. To dispense actually comes from the heart. So we, we could do a good job sometimes displaying love. But he says we don't only need to display it, we also need to dispense it. It needs to come out and be natural coming from a place of the heart. So watch this. As we think about the consideration of these two texts, love is a requirement and a reflection of a divine relationship. If we have this love, he, he, he says, not only is it a requirement, but it's a reflection of a divine relationship that you and I have with the Savior. Hence the reason he would say, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if, conditional word, if you have love one toward another. So not only is it a requirement, but it reflects the relationship that exists between us and God. We know that we are gods. We know that we follow Jesus Christ if and when we learn to dispense and display love one toward another. So as we think about that, number one, I want us to see that love is a requirement and a reflection of a divine relationship with the Savior. But number two into consideration John chapter number 17 let me hurry let me hurry being one is not only a conceptual ideal but rather it is a reality of a union lived out in community that has bearing on the belief of those who are looking in let me repeat that one more time being one is not only a concept of the mind or an ideal that is simply out there that we are striving necessarily to reach but never truly attain. Being one is not only a conceptual ideal, but rather it is a reality of a union lived out in community. And the bearing of which weighs in on the belief system of those who are on the outside looking in. Here is what Jesus would say in his prayer, that the world may believe now. So when they, Jesus praying about the disciples, are one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in you, he says, when there is oneness truly that is existing and that is seen even from the outside, the world that has yet to come to know you would, would see and truly believe that you sent me. In other words, I am able to be seen as the savior. I am able to be seen as the master. I am able to be seen as the mediator only through the fact that these individuals who are our, your disciples and my disciples, they truly have love one towards another and they are truly one. So the concept of being one, the concept of oneness doesn't just fall out of the sky. No, no, no. Draw, Paul draws later on in Ephesians chapter number four from this very text that Jesus would have spoken here to his disciples. But as you think about what it means to be one and what it means to have oneness, I want us to see that even Jesus pulls from some imagery even back 
in Old Testament times. Follow me on this really quickly. As you think about Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter number 2, verse 21 through 24, let me just paraphrase this a little bit. Uh, God had decided that it wasn't good for man to be alone and because up until this point, he had created all the animals and he had Adam there and Adam was naming all these animals and so forth. And, and in the process of time, God said, it's not good for Adam. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make for him a helpmeet. And in the process of time, God would, would put Adam to sleep and he would go to work in a spiritual operation and he would draw a rib out and from out of that rib, he would form and fashion a woman by the name of Eve later on is what, is, is what, is what Adam would have called her woman, right? And so the, the, it, it, it tells us that when God finally brings Eve to Adam... Adam somewhat stumbles a little bit. He becomes a poet all of a sudden. He says, this is surely bone of, of my bone, and she is certainly flesh of my flesh. And, and, then, and then what Moses does, Moses says, listen, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave. Say cleave. We, we need some cleavers. We, you, he should cleave to his wife, and the two, watch this, shall be one. God makes the man first male. I know this is a, some weird theology to some people today, but he makes the male. And then for the male, he creates the female who is to be in partnership with the male. Because part of the responsibility of male and female is to make more males and more females, procreation. You can't have a male and a male and make a next male or a female. You can't have a female and a female and make a next human. It, it has to be, this is God's design now, it has to be a male. You could shake your head if you, this is biology now. Uh, this, is not me, this is not me getting into the mess of the day, but this is biology. This is, this is gospel biology. This is, this is God saying, uh, the man is going to be different from the woman. Even in the way that we operate, men operate different from women. Women, you could say, yeah, yeah, that's true. The, the, these men do some crazy stuff. We do some crazy stuff as men. Yeah, 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 all that stuff. But a man is different both in physical stature mentality and otherwise of women. It's two totally different creatures. But yet still, God shows oneness in showing that even though we have two totally distinct individuals or beings, I could bring them into a relationship where they are seen not as two, but as one. Understand what marriage is. Marriage is not about my money is my money and your money. No, 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 no. Marriage is mine is yours and yours is mine. Marriage is your your mine and I'm yours. Marriage is is not fifty. Marriage is a hundred percent, a hundred percent. All this fifty percent, fifty percent talk. That's hogwash. Marriage is one hundred percent of me giving 100% to you and 100% of you giving 100% of me. And as God is over this, it makes the two of us one. So God is showing even in creation that you could have two, but in the two, you could still be one. The two shall become one. Say one. 
watch this, at the Tower of, of Babel or Babel, depending on your enunciation of it. This is Genesis chapter number 11 now. The scripture tells us after God had determined that he had given them a command to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, these individuals decide that they were going to stay in this region and they were going to put their minds together and their resources together to erect a tower that would go all the way up to the heavens. And when God looks down, here is what God says in verse number 12 of chapter, sorry, in verse number 6 of chapter number 11. And the Lord said, behold, watch this, the people, I like the King James Version, how the King James Version kind of says this. The King James puts it this way, behold, the people is one. Going to show that even though there were a number of individuals, hundreds of them, maybe even thousands of them, even though there, there, were, there were multiple individuals in this crowd or in this region, God looks down and he sees that even though there are many, he classes them as they are truly one. They are moving with one voice. They are moving with one heart. They are moving with one purpose. They are moving in one direction. Even though there are many, he says the people is one and they have all one language this uh, they do uh, and, and nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do why is that because they have one mind they have one heart even though you have multiple people that make up this group God looks down and he sees one we could be many but united in purpose we could have different backgrounds but united in heart we could come from all walks of life but united in purpose i need for us to see that oneness is not something new but god was teaching oneness all along the way through history and through scripture what about this watch this really quick in deuteronomy chapter number six as god is revealing himself to the israelites notice what he says he says he says this in in, in deuteronomy chapter number six and verse number four here here O israel the Lord your God is one. If you could understand oneness from a husband and a wife being in a relationship. If you could understand oneness from a group of individuals, tribes, men, families, whatever, being seen as one people then certainly you could understand and you could grasp a little bit of oneness when it comes to the Godhead. And if you were confused by God simply saying, behold, the Lord your God is one God, here comes John in his gospel writing in John chapter number one, verses one through three and verse number 14, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. You get down to verse number 14 and John would say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth god is saying i have shown you oneness in marriage i have shown you oneness in the people but i need for you to see oneness in the godhead and yet today we have individuals who would struggle to understand that there is even plurality in singular uh, singular singularness but but god is saying you could be plural and yet still singular. So the Godhead as we know it is made up of God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit. All along the way, God is teaching the concept of oneness. 
Watch this. Paul understands the reality and requirement of this idea uh, as he writes to the Ephesian church and shares something that is as important today as it was when he first wrote it back hundreds of years ago. As Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter number 4, I, I promise you I'm almost done. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter number 4, he says, I need for you to walk worthy of the vocation to which you have been called. You don't walk worthy necessarily because of who you are. You walk worthy by reflecting the type of life that's necessary based on the calling you have received from Jesus Christ. So it's a manner of walk. It, it's not that you are worthy off of your own volition, but you are worthy because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, there is a responsibility that's placed on the believer to walk in step with the calling of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you came to Jesus Christ as a drunkard, he doesn't expect you to stay a drunkard. If you came into Jesus Christ broken, he doesn't expect you to stay broken. If you came into Jesus Christ with hate in your heart, he doesn't expect the hate to stay there. He says, listen, I need for you to learn. And as you learn, I need for you to walk. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. Not only is there a command, church, not only is there a cry, but Paul shares with us in Ephesians chapter number four, verses one through six, that there is a cost to unity that is maintained. Watch this and we'll be done. When Paul writes, he says this in verse number three. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Here's what I want to kind of lay down here, and this is where I'll, I'll land, land this plane, as we've been talking about unity and love and all that kind of good stuff over these past couple of weeks or so. What Paul is, is sharing here is so important for us because if we are not careful, we could try to bring about some type of man-made unity that God didn't put in place. And as we try to come up with some type of man-made construct of unity, oftentimes what we do is that we, we kind of compromise on, on certain things. This is not a compromise, but rather notice what Paul says. He says, as you endeavor to keep the unity, it's, the unity is attributive to the spirit. So in other words, it's the unity of the spirit. It's a unity that already exists, that once you come into Christ, you come into this experience of unity. I, I, I was going to try and illustrate this, but I, I, I opted not to. But if you could picture this in your minds with me, it's like being around a campfire. You were cold and a campfire was already lit. And so for every person that steps into this place to get some heat, it's not your heat, but it was a heat that was already there. And so you're sitting around this campfire, you're sitting around this campfire, you, you've come to be warmed, and no matter where you came from, you've come to be warmed. It's, you didn't start that campfire, that campfire was there. The spirit is the one that creates that unity. The background you came from, you didn't come bringing something to unity, no, 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 you, you walked into unity. You walked into a plan that was the Father and that was the Son and was the Holy Spirit. So when you became a Christian and a believer, you came into a place that the Spirit called uh, unity of the Spirit. It's not left up to us to make unity of the Spirit. It's left up to us to have the responsibility to keep the unity of the Spirit. So watch this. In order to keep the unity of the Spirit, there are some logs that you and I have to burn. 
in order to keep the unity of the spirit, you can't burn that heat is the spirit's heat. This space is the spirit's space. In order to continue having this heat, you have to burn some things to make sure that you maintain the unity of this spirit. You have to burn off some prejudice. You have to throw the log of the past in there. You have to throw some logs of politics in there. You, 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 you got to throw some preconceived notions in there. You got to throw your own traditions in there because that's not what makes the unity. We got to maintain the unity that the spirit had maintained. And oftentimes, if we're, if we're not careful, we would recognize that oftentimes we try to create a unity that has already existed. You can't create this wheel. Anything that we're endeavoring to keep as far as unity has to be the unity that has already been designed by the Spirit himself. And we got to be willing to understand that when you are around this, this fire pit, you, you have people who are independent, you have people who are democratic, you have people who are republican. We got to be willing to burn those logs and say, listen, we want to reside in the spirit of unity and the unity of the spirit. And the only way we could truly do that is by giving up all these things and truly finding ourselves, watch this, as one. You see this? So he says, I need for you to understand that there are some things that you need to do in order to keep the unity of the spirit. Let me share this with you, Albert, and I'll be done. But in verse number two, Paul says, with all lowliness, that's humility. When you come, in as much as you come to burn some lugs, you're also coming to bring some things. You come to this with humility. Then he says, in meekness, here is what you come with again in your bag. He says, I need for you to bring, these are the beneficial things. I, I need for you to bring some meekness or some gentleness. Then he says, long suffering. And he almost uses what might seem or deem to feel like it's, it's uh, just another synonym when he says long-suffering and then forbearing one another. No, 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 no. He uses two distinct terms. One has to do with patience, the patience to put up with things. But then the other one has to do with the patience or the tolerance to put up with people. You have to be willing to suffer long, not only with things, but suffer long with people. You have to be willing to be long-suffering, not only going through your own trials, but also helping to go through the trials of others. Sometimes the person is the trial for you. But you got to be willing, he says, to be humble. That's what you come with. You got to be willing to be gentle. That's what you come with. You got to be willing to be patient. That's what you bring. You got to be willing to be tolerant of people. He says, and that's how you endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When we're patient and we're long-suffering, it helps us keep the unity of the spirit. 
when we're tolerant, not just tolerating, but tolerant, not just putting up with, but truly walking alongside with, when we're doing that, that's when you endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond. This is intentional work now. Because many of us know when you're building a fire, you, you understand that it's not the wet wood that's useful to the fire. Not every type of wood burns a certain type of way. And if you throw paper in the fire, it might burn for a little bit, but we need to throw things in the fire that will continuously burn for a long extended period of time. Patience takes time, Thomas. Tolerance takes time. Humility takes time. I'm telling you, these things take time. And so Paul says, I want you to see not only is there a command to love, I want you to see not only is there a cry for oneness, but I want you to see that it costs something in order to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond or brotherhood or tie of peace. Church, what are we willing to give up in order to keep the unity that the spirit has made? Not something that we're comfortable with. Could I talk to Antioch for a little bit? Not, 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 not something that we... We, we just do to make everybody feel comfortable, but, but truly a reflection of the unity that the Spirit has created and you and I have been blessed to be, to be warmed by. What are we willing to give up and burn in that fire so that truly we could be reflections of oneness, to be able to love one another unconditionally? And though we are many members Truly, when God looks down, he sees one body. What is it going to cost for us to have this unity? Think about that as together we stand and we sing our song.